This is episode number 147 of the Rising Man podcast with Matthew Aris. When we finally accept that everything we experience is part of being human, it will finally be okay to be one. What's up, Rising Man family? Welcome back to the Rising Man podcast. I am your host and the creator of this show, Jedi Azuma, as well as the founder of the Rising Man movement. And I'm so glad you decided to join us here today. I love what we do here. I love my job, guys. I don't think you understand how much I love being in the conversation and the inquiry of what it means to be a man. Even more so, I love supporting men breaking through the barriers that they have in their lives that are keeping them from getting to the life that they want to have, keeping them from being the man that they say they want to be. I spent the last 10 years of my life figuring out how to do that for myself. And the fact that I get to spend every day devoting my energy towards making more men across the world, towards helping them, towards leading them to become the men that they want to be is a gift. And I look forward to being able to give that gift back to you. Yeah, you, you who've been listening for a long time. Maybe you're somebody who's been lurking in the shadows, listening to us from behind a screen, or maybe you're already a part of the Rising Man community. I don't know. But what I do know is that growth happens on the edge of our comfort. And so if you have yet to lean into one of our opportunities to explore yourself more deeply, to challenge yourself to step up, to break through the limiting patterns, the limiting beliefs you have in your life, whatever that looks like, then I'm challenging you to step up right now. You know where to go, risingman.org. We've got a list of all of our opportunities, all of our offerings, including another one that's going to be announced next week. I'm not going to talk about it just yet because it's still marinating in the pot, but we've got our virtual fire circles. We've got our 12 weeks of Inferno where you can jump on a team with me, or we've got our four-day vision fast experience where you come out and fast in the wilderness with us and claim that passage into manhood that you missed, that most of us missed out on. Whatever it is, go to risingman.org and see what challenge, what opportunity there is for you to take another step forward and be a bigger part of this Rising Man community. We're waiting for you. All right. My guest today is a man who's returning back to the show. If you haven't been listening to every episode of the podcast, then you may have never heard of him. So let me reintroduce him. Matthew Aris is a sacred sexuality guide, a shamanic somatic healer, and a transformational life coach. He's returning to the show today to share his perspectives on male sexuality and his new program, The Pillar, which was designed to reprogram the stories we were told about what it is to be a man and ultimately the beliefs we now hold about ourselves as men in today's day age. In this episode, Matthew and I opened up a great dialogue about sexuality for men and why it's always been such a taboo topic for us to talk about. We discussed why sex is so motivating for men and how we can learn to harness sexual energy instead of being led by it. I opened up about my journey with my sexuality, especially as a married man with young children, having a hard time to make room for intimacy with my wife and how my partner and I have navigated that whole process. Matthew brings his perspective on expressing our sexual desires to our partners and how we can learn to be authentic by creating safety for ourselves and for our partners. We dropped in about sex as a rite of passage and why fighting and fornicating became a cultural way to establish dominance in manhood. And lastly, Matthew encourages us to explore pleasure and allow ourselves to feel it without being ashamed or feeling awkward. Without further ado, Matthew Aris.
All right. Rising Man family. Got a returning guest who, if you guys have been listening for a long time, you'll recognize the name, but maybe you haven't met him yet if you've just been tuning in recently. My bro, Matthew Aris, coming in again, this time from way up in northern BC, right? That's where you're at right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, presently. Just moved up here from living in Austin for a while. Oh, so freezing your nuts off is what I gather. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> Right on, man. Well, I know you're the kind of guy that likes to jump right in and go right to it. So, you know, the conversation that we're poised to have today is around something that I know for me as a man has been an uncomfortable topic to talk about for most of my life. My own sexuality, I know myself and many men, our introduction to sexuality was through pornography, especially this generation. Not having those conversations with elders or mentors that could give us a different context for it. So, you know, I know that there's shame and stigma and a recontextualization around sexuality that gets to happen. So I'd like to start there with this idea that you brought this idea of rites of passage to the table. You know, I love that stuff. But where does sexuality fit in as a rite of passage? Not not like the typical, oh, I got laid for the first time. Now I'm a man. What's the new idea of how it serves as a rite of passage? I believe we're in a place where we get to design that. I don't think it's really been done before in a way with the level of conscious awareness that couples and parents and men and women have around their pleasure. Like we went through the free love movement and the hippie movement of the 60s and 70s, and that opened a door to sexual expression and to a section of a generation that was raised being more sexually liberated. I have friends who have said, you know, that they grew up on a hippie commune where they witnessed their parents making love like regularly and it wasn't taboo. It wasn't shameful. It was just that they were, you know, in their bedroom and the kids were running around the house and it was just something that was, you know, normalized. But that is so rare. Most of us were raised with this idea that our pleasure, our sex, our sexuality, our our masturbation is hidden. It's shamed. It's done in the bedroom behind the door with a tube sock. And where we're at right now is I believe we get to engineer and create a new paradigm of like sexual education and rite of passage for young adults, essentially, because that's what it is. It's, it's coming into adulthood. But every kid on the planet I don't want to say every kid on the planet, many Western kids have tablets and access to the internet now between the age of like two to 10, which is the most impressionable time in their personal development. And if what they're seeing is this continual like sexualization and really shameful world of objectification, it's going to create more of the issues that we are now trying to unpackage and unwind. And i I believe it just starts with having healthy conversations. I believe it starts with not, you know, not having these code words of like, oh yeah, like you'd put your PP over there or like whatever, you know, else parents use as these, I'm afraid to have the conversation, but I know I need to have the conversation. So I'm going to just tiptoe around it and hope that it's okay and everything will be all right. Mm -hmm. And that gets to shift. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of different portals here. I see I see different sides to the conversation. So let's tackle them one by one. The first one is that even the conversation of pleasure, prioritizing pleasure as something that we get to experience as humans, to me, and I'm sure a lot of other people might see that as like a luxury or like how, how privileged are we that we get to think that much about pleasure? 
in our lives. So I wonder what your perspective is on that. Cause in the same sentence, there's humans on the other side of the world that just surviving to the next day is their priority. So how do we weigh that out? Entirely. I feel like that's a perfect reflection of how far we've fractured from our initial imprinting of when we came into this planet. Like sexual energy is creative energy. It is life force energy. At the end of the day, the rudimentary purpose for us on the planet, like our fundamental like biological programming is to create life. It's, it's no different from nature. We're born, we're raised, we mature, we create life, we bring life forth, we raise that life and we die. And the art and the energetic of creating that life comes from pleasure. Like our pleasure is, our orgasm is pleasurable. There's no doubt in that. Even unconscious, fully disconnected sex, there is pleasure in it. They are receiving the sensation of pleasure. Very unconscious, but the energetic that exists in the art of making love, in the act of procreation, is beautiful. Even th those individuals on the other side of the planet who are surviving have the ability to tap into that. And when we remove this idea of like that energy is only through the act of connection, of intimacy, of lovemaking, and we tune into the potential energy of that, that's creative life force energy. That is source energy. That's the energy that exists in all things. Like that, that's a, a fundamental, I believe, knowing of natural law on the planet. Everything comes from that energy source. So we see how far we've, we've junctured down this avenue of, no, we don't talk about it. We don't acknowledge it. We shame it to the place where it, it is the precipice of our existence. So yes, we are so privileged to be able to feel pleasure, but I believe that's the privilege of the human experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's making me imagine, well, everything that nature's given us serves a purpose. So the fact that we even have access to pleasure, even if it's just to motivate us to procreate, <laughs> right? If the promise of an orgasm on the other side of having sex leads us to procreate, then it's, it serves its function. And, and, and I'm, what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that there's so much more than that. And I genuinely believe that too. I know that sexual energy is creative and that one way of exploring and experiencing sexual energy is through these different sexual practices. I've also found a lot of benefit in figuring out how to redirect that energy into other creative parts of my life, especially, you know, you know, my story, I've got two small children, the intimacy and the, the moments for my wife and I to be intimate have plummeted after having kids, you know, we still make it happen, but I've had to find a way to redirect that energy, whatever we want to call it into other things, which has also been really useful and has in the right context and with really clear communication, like you said, it's led to greater blossoming of intimacy between my wife and I, instead of this shameful, I don't know how to talk about it. I'm passively trying to get what I want and get my needs filled without being direct. But I also know that's been a big edge for me. Maybe that's an, a next place to go is being able to ask for what we want and being clear about how we express our sexual desires. So you don't strike me as a man who has any problem with that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you could educate us a bit on how that journey has been for you. Yeah. You know, that's a big part of the work in the containers that I offer in, in the facilitation and, and the programs. One of the first things that we do is look at this conversation of desire, of authentic desire. 
but we can't look at just what the authentic desire is. We also have to look at the other side of that, which is the fear that is preventing us from actually being in touch with that. And really by allowing ourselves to tune into this idea of what would it look like to be able to acknowledge and speak to that which I desire, not with the idea or the expectation that it has to come to manifest, because ultimately, especially if we're talking about sexual desires and partnership, your partner might not hold the same desire. That desire might be incredibly triggering or challenging for them to hold. But what would it look like if you were able to create the space to just speak to it, to be able to say, hey, this is an authentic desire of mine, and I want to speak to it because it's important that I'm able to at least express it. And from that place of expressing it, have a conversation. It doesn't need to be acted upon. It doesn't need to come to manifest. And here are the fears that are present with this. I'm afraid that if, you know, I speak to this, you'll think less of me. I'm afraid that if I I speak to this, you know, you'll think that I don't desire you or or whatever else shows up with that. But what does it look like to be able to speak to the authenticity where the desire lives? Yeah, man. Well, that's such a great tidbit. It's something that's really helped me and my wife in our relationship has been having that level of vulnerability and transparency and being able to speak it honestly and let go of whatever emotional charge that wants to attach itself to that. And I'm grateful that I, I have a partner who's willing to go to those places and has done a lot of work. I'm, I'm wondering, what do you offer to guys who are just beginning to explore that level of communication with their partner? Because I'm imagining a guy out there is listening saying, dude, you're asking me to take a pretty big leap here, you know, like telling my wife that I'd really love to have a blowjob and what it would mean for me right now. And that's like a big edge for them, right? So how do guys like that venture into that conversation with their partner for the first time? You know, firstly, it comes with understanding the dynamic of masculine feminine energetics within relationship. I believe, I believe that's like the precipice of of creating this container is really understanding what it is like to be a masculine individual. And when I talk about masculine feminine, it's not necessarily male and female, but typically a man runs more masculine energy, the woman runs more feminine energy. And in a relationship, the polarity usually plays within those spectrums. So the masculine, the man gets to create the safe space for his beloved, for his partner to actually be able to receive that as opposed to just showing up and saying, hey, here's a desire. Here's what I want. Just like you get to create the container. You get to to create the physical structure, the emotional and energetic structure that allows for the conversation to be held. Set the space. Bring your beloved into a space that has been set. Let her know ahead of time. Say, hey, you know, later on this evening, I would love to just sit down with you and have an open conversation about our intimacy around sexuality, around our desires. And I just want to see where it goes. This can be really fun. This can be really playful. You know, at this time, I want you to put your phone away. I'm going to set the space. We're going to have, you know, some tea and and snacks. You're not going to need to go anywhere and like drop into a ceremonial space. And invite, this is part of the the work that I do in my program, invite your beloved to also tune in with, with her desires. What is it that you ultimately desire? I want to be able to hear that. And I might not be able to hold it as something that can, can be acted upon. If you desire to be intimate with you know three other men while I watch, maybe I can't hold that, but I want you to be able to speak to that. I want you to be able to tell me that. And really... It's not just coming into the space saying, this is what I want. It's also creating the safe space to listen, not just to what she desires, but what fears are present for her, even just hearing you. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's huge, man. I think 
it's big work. And I'm glad that you're offering something like this to men because the fear of what might happen, of how it might be received when I express my deepest desires to my partner. And then also the fear of, well, what if I find out about her deepest desires and it's not something that I want to hear? It's, I mean, it's right on the cutting edge of vulnerability and it requires that safe space. And, you know, admittedly, I'm sure other guys would relate to this also. What I've done in my past is I've, I've taken the shortcut. I haven't spent the time to create the space and the environment. I haven't even given any attention to what the feminine needs might be to have that kind of conversation. I've just kind of steamrolled through with my masculine and focused more on what my desires are. Even if I colored it in a way that my ego could say, well, yeah, this is good for both of us. Really underneath it, I was still thinking about myself. I was still thinking about what I wanted. And to step into that conversation committed to being a recipient and offering that same space back to my partner, it makes a huge difference in how they receive it. Fully. I feel like you said something really beautiful there, which is you started the question by asking how men can talk about their desires. And and what I said was, we have to also look at the other part. We have to look at the fear that, that exists within that. And that steamrolling of the, I'm focused on what I desire, I believe is coming from the energetic of fear. If I don't just go in now, then maybe I'll miss my opportunity. Or I'm afraid that if I open up the space too much that she won't hear me. Or like, what is the actual energy that it is coming to the space with? Because at the end of the day, it's all vibration. Everything around us is vibrational frequency. And what, what frequency are we holding when we bring that? There's literally times when I'm in a conversation with either a brother or, or a beloved or a family member And I can feel that it's coming from the fear or it's coming from the anxiety or it's coming from the wound. And I'll say, I'll be like, hey, I know that what you're saying is important. I want to be able to receive it. But the place that it's being delivered from right now, it's actually not going to land. I can tell that my body is in resistance to fully hearing it right now. And I believe that's a big part of the work of learning to communicate consciously in partnership, in life, in work dynamics, in friendships is to be aware of like what you're bringing into that conversation, what you bring into that space. If you're coming to a conversation around desires from a place of fear, then, you know, from an animal standpoint, like animals can smell and sense fear. If your beloved is listening to you talk about your desires and you're holding the frequency of fear, she's going to be like, why are you afraid? Like what's, what's going on here? There's fear that's present. I don't understand it. Yeah. My wife would often describe it as, you know, it feels like there's a saber tooth tiger in the room. She's like, I don't know what it is, but I can feel something. It's amazing. And all women, all people really, but especially women, they have these radars, these tuned up frequencies that can tap into that energy of fear, no matter how well we think we're disguising it. And I know that that's been some big work for me is just saying, yeah, you know what? That is present for me right now. And I used to think that working my way around the fear or trying to disguise it would make my wife feel more safe. But most, in most cases, as long as I can demonstrate that I'm willing to own the fear and stand with it and be with it, and that she can see that I'm not running from it or shying away from it, then she's able to, she's able to hold that space and recognize, okay, well, he's expressing fear, but he's still here. And that's really what I find she wants to hear at the end of the day. Yeah. And I believe it's also really important for us men to have the spaces outside of partnership to be able to hold those conversations for us to lean into our brothers and like our partner's not there to process our shit 
And it goes both ways. Like we're not there to process their shit, but we often end up holding space for their process greater than they should hold space for ours. It's, I believe that's part of the masculine feminine dynamic as it is like the feminine emotional experience is constantly vacillating. So we get to hold the space that allows for that to be expressed. And as men, as innately masculine beings, when we come into partnership and we're creating that space to express, to communicate, to love, to, to connect, when we have stuff that shows up, our trigger, our anger, our like aggression, all of these different, you know, emotional experiences that manifest as a result of our, you know, beliefs, our nervous system, how we were raised, we get to learn how to be with that outside of partnership. And I, I believe, you know, being able to tap into that fear, like going to a brother and speaking it and holding that space and having that space held to be able to share your heart authentically up front. It's like the trial run. It's you literally get to process it. You get to understand it more. You get to go into it as opposed to bringing the fear, bringing the energetic into relationship. And then it just creates this confusion. If you have the safe space with your men, if you have the support with a brother to drop in and be real and be authentic and just say, hey, here's where I'm at. Can we talk about this? And Or can you just listen so I can hear myself talk about it? It's so healing. It's so healing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know where I come from on that side of the conversation. I think every man needs a space like that. And so I, I support that 100%. And in the same sentence, I've found that discussing sexuality and like all of it, not just like getting laid, because that's that's easy for guys, right? Talking about getting laid or talking about, you know, previous sexual conquest, that stuff comes up easy. But when you really dissect it, men speaking about their intimate sexual desires and the details of what we desire is almost more awkward to talk about with other dudes than it is with our partners, I find in some cases. I believe that's because we've been conditioned that way. In my program, in the pillar, when I work with brothers to just talk about their desires, to talk about their sexual energy, you know, how many men across the board, and this is a, any brother listening to this right now has had this come up at some point. It's like, how many of you have ever questioned the size of your cock? It doesn't matter if, if you're big, if you're average, if you're small, like everybody has had that show up at some point. And as men, to be able to actually just say that in a group of other brothers, be like, hey, I'm self-conscious about this, or hey, you know, I was intimate with my wife the other night and I couldn't get hard. And that brought up a lot of my shit. Like, can we have a conversation about it? And the number of other men who are like, oh, yeah, me too. That happens to me all the time, but I've never been able to say that. I've never been able to talk about that. Like, why? It's because we're, we're so conditioned into this idea that in order to be a man, you either fuck somebody or you fight somebody. That going back to rite of passage, that was the rite of passage that most of us received through what we witnessed as to what it meant to be a man, whether you conquered some woman or you conquered some man. It's like, I'm tougher than you. I can beat you up and I'm going to show you that. Or I'm so fucking hot that I can, you know, get this woman. That's the energetic that we were raised with. So it comes from competition. It comes from comparison. So of course, we're going to compare ourselves to the other men. If those are the two things that we're holding in our awareness of what it means to be a man, if my cock is smaller than his or he's more ripped than I am, then like from a breeding standpoint, is he more desirable to women? Should I prove myself to him? Do I need to prove myself to her before he can? All of this, like talk, like women are talking about the sister wound, but like, let's talk about the brother wound right now. Most men have never looked at another man in the eyes and just sat with one another and witnessed without it being a confrontation, without one of them wanting something from the other. 
together. Right. Well, and I'm sure you've read the book Sapiens. Have you read that book before? I'm rereading it right now. And I'm actually listening to it on audiobook because reading puts me to sleep. But, (laughs) But as I'm listening to this over again, one of the messages that's really coming through for me is how quickly modern humans have been expected to adjust to drastic changes in our way of being. That evolution for most species occurs over hundreds of thousands of millions of years. Small changes in DNA occurs over such a long timeline that we can't even conceive of it. Yet in even just the past 50 years, We've been expected to adapt to an entirely new culture and way of being. It's a lot to ask for. And what you just said about a man looking at another man in the eyes, you go back just a few generations and that was like, we're fighting. Like If you stare another man down, it's a threat. And even in the animal kingdom, right? You're, they tell you, don't stare a mountain lion in the eyes because that's a threat. Right. So there's there's these biological components of who we are going back to our desires for procreation, for sensuality, for protection and safety that we can't ignore. That's built into our DNA that hasn't changed just because we have iPhones now and because we have the Internet and we can, you know, modern conveniences. And at the same time, we also have this super brain that's capable of way more than any other species on this planet ever has been. And to me, that's the balance, right? Yes, there's our biology. And yes, there's also the way we choose to be with it because we have this ability to be more conscious and aware of it in the process. Yeah, that that's the emotional mastery. That is our, like, yes, the super brain, but how beautiful is consciousness? And I believe that those two are entirely separate. Like our brain, our human brain that has developed over the past, whatever you believe, whether it's 100,000 years or a few thousand years, our brain that has evolved to be able to process information and create and build like this, this phone from going back far enough to like raw materials into what we have now, profound the intellectual ability to create, yes, and our consciousness, our consciousness that expands beyond the brain, the processor. And I believe, you know, the emotional mastery, I believe a big part of men's work right now and deeply understanding masculinity is being in touch with the emotional experience that we have and deeply understanding it so that we can become the master of our emotions. That does not mean that we are always controlling our emotions. We will succumb to them. We will get triggered. We will be shocked. We will be thrown off of our center. Even the most conscious brother out there who is doing the men's work, who is living and breathing it, at some point, his partner or his mother can say something that will just fucking set him off where he wants to rage. And how you were shown how to deal with that as a kid will generally reflect back how you deal with that. Some entirely go small. They retreat. They become the turtle. Others just need to take space and go grab a baseball bat and go hit a punching bag, whatever it is, like that energy wants to move. And the emotional mastery is being in touch with the primal being in the understanding and the inquisition of, I am still an animal at the end of the day. I was raised through a lineage of like primal beings that have like physiological responses in the body for survival. And our emotions can trigger those as well. That's what triggers are. That's, that's like how we process that. That was like the, one of the first things I learned with you and really dove into, you know, 
is being in that, but learning to understand the emotional experiences we're having as men and saying, okay, I'm triggered in this. Okay, I'm afraid. Okay, I'm recognizing that there is something here and I don't really know what it is. I'm going to go in. I'm going to understand it. I'm going to allow the consciousness to come through and the intellectual mind to work together to, to just create a better understanding of how I can show up in this. Sometimes that looks like taking space. Sometimes that looks like, hey, I need an hour. I'm going to go and be in nature. Other times that looks like getting on the, the heavy bag. Other times that looks like just sitting and breathing. But, but being in touch with that to the place where you understand that it is happening in the first place, that I believe is the work that we get to really master right now. Mm, yeah. And it makes me wonder in this question of evolution, when instincts became emotions, because to me, I think that emotions and things that we feel are not all that different than what other animals might feel. You know, I think of just an animal in the wild, they're capable of experiencing fear and threat. And they're also capable of feeling anger and rage, at least the words that we would put to it in our human experience. And then there's the other part of it where most animals that operate off of instincts, they don't have the ability to sit back and say, oh, I'm feeling fear right now. Where is that fear coming from? They're like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Something's about to eat my ass. I got to get moving. So I wonder if that brings up anything in your understanding of emotions. Yeah, I actually think that that's why it's so important right now to understand this work, like literally 2020, because we are in a place where that animal is beginning to come back to the surface. And what I mean by that is if we look at the laws of nature, if we look at how animals respond to their environment, an animal that is cornered, if it has no other avenue for escape, if every other avenue is, is closed off by a predator, by, by like something that's going to harm it, it will attack as a last resort. So let's say a fox and a rabbit. That rabbit will attack that fox with everything it has for its life because it has nothing else to survive. Generally, in nature, 90% or more, that rabbit dies because it's cornered and it's had all outlets. I believe as a whole, as a collective, no matter where you are on the planet right now, you are feeling more and more like that rabbit that is being cornered as things are being taken away from you, as these avenues into your perceived sense of safety are slowly being closed off, whether that is by a government entity, whether that is by your own doing because you're afraid of, of a virus or something else, the avenues of our perceived sense of safety are slowly closing. And as that's happening, the animal instinct within us is beginning to get more heightened. That is why I believe people are reacting at such an exponential and extraordinary amount of energy right now. The slightest conversation that triggers somebody's last perceived sense of safety right now and the reaction that they are expressing is as if you're literally standing in front of them with a gun. Like they feel so threatened with their life. So that's why I believe right now, understanding the emotions that are occurring within us, understanding the emotional experience that the planet is going through and the feeling that we're feeling in everything else, being aware of what content you're consuming, whether it's through TV or Netflix or your phone, even full on like fantasy shit, like be aware of, of what messages are being like indoctrinated into you right now. Because all of that is affecting your nervous system. All of that is affecting your ability to navigate your emotional experience. 
And if you can't run it through your lens of, okay, I'm, I am safe. This person not wearing a mask or this person wearing a mask isn't actually putting my life in danger in this moment. I'm safe. I'm still safe, even though I'm responding as though I am not. That, I believe, is the work that everybody gets to do right now. And it's becoming more imperative. And it's also becoming more difficult because there's just so much that's happening so fast. Yeah, I agree with that. And I've always been an advocate for having safe spaces where those emotions can also be honored and expressed. I've, you know, when I first moved to California, one of the first things that I heard about were these grieving rituals and grief ceremonies. And it was such a profoundly different idea than I'd ever heard of before. The, you know, people gathering and sharing grief together. I mean, just the idea of public vulnerability was very new to me at that time when I was like 25 years old, but having spaces where we can go and access our rage, express that anger in a way that's not going to harm ourselves or others. And same with sadness and, and joy, and not only just the darker, uncomfortable emotions, but how many people are still not letting themselves really feel joy? in their lives. You know, we're very, we force ourselves into this emotional neutrality because it's the only place where we know how to survive. And we know what the outcome of that is. We know that that ends up with guys becoming these ticking time bombs, walking around waiting to explode. Uh, I was having this conversation with a client the other day where they kept telling me, you know, I feel really good. Like I can feel how everything is working for me. I keep just waiting for that other shoe to drop though. I keep waiting for it to be shitty again. And You know, so many of us are conditioned with that belief where it's like we were raised with this idea that, you know, the love that we received, most of us, whether you had a a loving home or not, most of us still created these ideas of, of conditional love that created our limiting beliefs and our wounds and our shadows. And through that, we kind of created this understanding of this is all I deserve. This is all I'm worthy of. So when we come into that worthiness, when we feel that pleasure, this is why the sexuality and the work for men to be able to get in touch with their body and feel that pleasure is so healing because we can transmute all of that. If we're living our life saying, well, this is really good right now, or I feel joy right now, but I'm not going to allow myself to feel it too long because I know that it'll go into pain. I know that I don't deserve this joy. I know that there's people suffering. Let me remind myself of all of the harm on the planet. And I'm going to take myself out of this because I'm feeling guilty for feeling all this pleasure right now. Fuck that. Feel pleasure. Spread pleasure. Like Be in the space of allowing yourself to fully embody that pleasure through the deep knowing of yourself, of your pleasure, of your orgasm, of your your sexual energy, whether you're transmuting that and creating something with it, or you're being with it in a self-pleasure practice, or you're making love to your partner, worshiping your partner, however it's being expressed, allow it to be felt and allow yourself the privilege of feeling that and being in that, all of it. The grief circles, yes. The cathartic release, yes. The anger rooms or just going out into nature and primal screaming, move the energy, but also allow yourself to feel the pleasure. Go into a sex magic ritual with yourself. Go into a pleasure practice with nothing on your mind, but what does it feel like for men? What does it feel like when I just massage a flaccid cock? What does it feel like? What is the actual energy there? If I want to massage my arm, that feels good. There's tension in my arm. Can I do the same to my cock? Can I do the same to my testicles? Can I do the same to my groin? And allow that to just be a sensation that is welcomed into the body without it needing to mean anything. Yeah, I think that's an interesting part of the conversation is the meaning that we attach 
to these sexual practices and emotional experiences. I want to stay on the emotional topic for a minute because I think that that's still such an evasive one for most men. And obviously, all we can assume right now is that there's guys who are listening to the podcast. Ideally, you're getting into at least a virtual room with somebody who knows how to navigate through this or in a physical room with somebody who can guide you. But if you're just listening to this podcast right now, Matthew, what would you have for guys who are saying, yeah, you know what? I don't have a healthy relationship with my emotions. What's my first step? Before we can come into emotional mastery, we need to understand our base. We need to know our level of homeostasis. We need to know when that barometer is off one way or another. So coming into a practice of meditation, coming into mindfulness, coming into awareness and presence, allowing yourself to silence all of the stories, all of the meetings, and just come into your heart, come into your body and say, okay, I know my center right now. I know my grounding right now. I know my anchor right now. By developing a healthy, regular meditation practice and knowing your reference point for the homeostasis that lives with inside you, you'll know when you start to kilter one way or another. So firstly, that is now creating a reference point for you to come back to. So when the anger shows up, when the tension shows up, when the fear shows up, even though you might not be able to access it, you know that it's there. You know, if I go take a breath right now, if I go sit right now, I can come back to my center. Because when you're not in that state, you're allowing yourself to feel that state. So that's the first thing is creating the reference. The second is becoming aware of the emotions as they're occurring. What are the reoccurring patterns in your life that are allowing these to manifest? If every time you ask your wife to do the dishes and she doesn't do the dishes, you want to fucking rage and destroy all the dishes, great. Now you're beginning to see a pattern of what? What is the belief? I feel unsupported. I feel unworthy of you know receiving the nurture of whatever. What is the story there? Look at the belief beneath it. And without needing to make any meaning out of it, just be in the emotional experience. I experience anger when I don't feel supported. Okay. And it's, it's this like chunking back. You start by creating a base. Then you begin to come into the state of awareness. I am aware that these experiences are happening. I'm aware that these emotions are, are manifesting. Then you, you find what is triggering them. You find like what is causing them. Then you go into the belief. And then we go into where did the belief come from? And then you begin to reprogram that. But you can't, I don't want to say you can't, it is very difficult to begin the practice of that if you don't know what your center feels like. If you're constantly numbing yourself with drugs and alcohol or sex or pornography, if anytime you feel something, you say, I need a cigarette, I need a glass of wine, I need to masturbate, I need to whatever, you're not allowing yourself to actually feel It's not about the cigarette. It's not about the wine. It's not about the porn. You don't feel good enough. You don't feel worthy of love, whatever it is. Let's get into the feeling for a minute. Yeah. And I would also encourage guys not don't let the newness of this discipline or this practice dissuade you from doing it in the first place. I know a lot of guys are like, all right, well, that all sounds great in theory. And then you get yourself in the moment. You're like, okay, I can feel that emotion coming on. And then you totally flop it. Right. I know I've had that experience where I'm in there and I'm like, okay, I'm in it with my wife right now. I can see she's getting triggered. It's starting to trigger me. I could see that part. Oh, there it is. There's that defensiveness that wants to come out. Okay. All right. Let's get back to center. How do I want to show up? What's the hire me want to do? And I can see it like it's right within my grasp. And then my ego says, fuck you, guy. And just like goes down the route of like going totally back to what I would normally do. So it's not like a a thing that you nail every time. It's something that is like it is. It's got to be willing to get messy and to look at yourself and say, "Ah, okay, what happened there? Why didn't I want to 
step forward and lean into that in that moment and having some kindness and compassion for yourself. Yeah. I feel like that's for many, that's further down the road for others. It's not like having that level of awareness. I, I think what really helps two things that have, have supported me is one, like speaking it into the space, like you're in it, you're going back and forth about whatever it is. And then just being like, okay, we're in it. We're here. I'm clearly triggered. I'm sensing that you are also, we're here. Let's just take a couple breaths for a minute. Just, we don't have to keep going. Let's just take a couple breaths. And the ego's over here and the higher self's over here. And if you can balance those two for a minute, just to at least speak it, you don't have to say, hey, I'm in my wound and I know that I'm behaving out of line and I'm trying to prove you wrong. You don't have to go there yet. Just, hey, we're in it. We're here. And the other thing that I've I've started doing is like, if I feel at the level of consciousness that many couples are evolving to, you can generally feel who's further in the trigger. Like you can, you can feel it's like, oh, I, I know you're deeper in your trigger than I am, or I'm deeper in the trigger than you are. And being able to acknowledge that and recognize that and whoever is not as far gets to anchor back into the shared vision. And that could just be, hey, we're going to take a 30 minute break and I'm going to go to the bedroom. I'm going to go outside and I'm just going to be for a minute. But before we do, let's just take a couple breaths. I'm not going to just vacuum out and creating the awareness of that. And if I'm further in my trigger, I'll speak to that. I'll say, hey, I'm, I'm deeper in my trigger right now. What would be the most supportive thing is if we could just stop talking and you could put a hand on me because my body doesn't want to reach out for help right now. Mm. Mm, that's good, man. That's like graduate level stuff right there. <laughs> I love that one. That's good. And I think also just to celebrate when you do have those moments of awareness, because most of the time the emotional train comes by and you only know that it happened because you see the wreckage after. It's kind of like you emotionally black out and you're like, oh fuck, what happened? So even just to catch yourself in that moment is already progress. And so I love what you're speaking to, man. I want to make sure that we leave some room for you to speak more into your program and what you're offering, the specific space that you're offering for men right now, because I've known you for a while and it's been great to see your gifts and your expression of your medicine evolve. And so tell us about the pillar. Tell us about what space you're creating for men to access their healing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The pillar is my three month men's group coaching program, masculinity, sacred sexuality, and emotional mastery. It is a three month journey into this work of understanding the beliefs, the imprinting, what it means to be a man and what meaning you made of that how to get in touch with our sexuality, how to begin to build energetic orgasms and non-ejaculatory orgasms and, and sublimation and sex magic and ritual honoring, how to navigate triggering conversations in partnership, and also how to have a conversation about what type of partnership you want to create, whether that's open or polyamorous or monogamish or monogamous, like whatever is right for you. How do we have that conversation? So this is the third round of the pillar. I'm super excited. It starts the second week of November, themasculinepillar.com. For your listeners, if you put the Rising Man podcast in the affiliates, they'll get a special discount. I'm super excited. For me, above all else, it's a brotherhood. It is a brotherhood of men who are able to show up and have these conversations together in a judgment-free space, in a safe space, in a confidential space to really work on becoming the best versions of themselves. Heck yeah, man. I love that. I love what you're offering. I'm excited for guys who are going to jump into this. What I can say is I've known Matthew for three years now, and he's every bit the man that you see, every bit that is broadcasted. So I trust him and been great to have you on here, man. Just before we cut, I think you said the word monogamish. Is that is that a thing? <laughs> I have not, this is, that's like a new term for me. 
<laughs> yeah, monogamish is whatever you make of it. I believe that many of us get to look at the relationships that we were shown and how we can create something for ourselves. So a monogamish relationship is like, I'm I'm in a monogamous partnership. I'm with a partner, I'm with a primary partner. And there are elements of openness that we desire, whether that is bringing somebody else in, maybe that's just exploring fantasy, maybe that's exploring witnessing, maybe that's just having a, a more in-depth conversation about being open, but not actually being open. What does that look like? That's kind of in that monogamish. It's, you know, I believe many couples adhere to certain beliefs based off of what they think like is acceptable in society. But when we take all of those labels and say, fuck it, what actually works for you? What's the authentic desire and what's the fear? Then we get to generate, you know, our relationship. That's beautiful, man. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Always educating, always delivering that good stuff, man. I loved having you on here today. I hope that you don't freeze your butt off up there for too long before you make your way back to Texas. But Matthew, man, thank you for coming on here and bringing everything that you have. It's really awesome chatting with you, bro. Thank you, brother. You as well. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this drop-in with Matthew, another amazing conversation with a great man. For those of you guys who don't know Matthew, make sure you go follow him and check out his Pillar program. He's been doing some really incredible stuff over the past two years. I've been tracking his journey ever since before I started the podcast. Actually, right when I started the podcast was when I met Matthew and was coaching him and supporting him and the work that he's doing is incredible so you guys make sure you go check it out i fully endorse this man and while you're at it go to risingman.org and see if there's something there for you for you to take your journey further if you want to be a part of our virtual community join the fire circles if you want to be on a team with me for the next 12 weeks check out inferno if you want to come out and fast with us in the springtime or maybe the fall time because by the time you hear this we might be out of spots believe it or not for the spring go to risingman.org go check it out right now and wherever you're listening to us please subscribe and follow us on the podcast app of your choice. Make sure also while you're visiting risingman.org to check out all the links for show notes and resources that are related to each and every episode. Take a peek at us over on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Rising Man Movement. Shout out to my whole Rising Man power team, Rowan, Sean, Julian, Ryan, Mark, and Roy. I'm so grateful for you guys. Thank you so much for each and every week showing up and helping this movement really move. You know, we've been together now as a team for just over two years. And I just look at the things that we've accomplished so far and think about how much more there is to do. And that includes everybody else out there. All you guys who are listening. I appreciate every single one of you for listening, for tuning in, for really listening from your heart and feeling the transmissions from what we're dropping in here behind the mic what we're putting out there each and every week it's it's authentic we really love we really care about you guys and we love what we do we love what we do so thanks to my team thanks to my crew thanks to my rising man family until next time rise up and claim your destiny (laughs) 